You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. Apollo 8, the second manned mission in the United States Apollo space program, was launched on December 21st, 1968 and became the first manned spacecraft to leave Earth orbit, reach the Earth's moon, orbit the moon, and return safely to Earth. The three astronaut crew, Commander Frank Borman, Command Module Pilot James Lovell, and Lunar Module Pilot William Anders became the first men to travel beyond low Earth orbit, the first to see Earth as a whole planet, the first to directly see the far side of the moon, and then the first to witness Earthrise. The 1968 mission, the third flight of the Saturn V rocket, and the rocket's first manned launch was also the first manned launch from the Kennedy Space Center, Florida, located adjacent to Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. The mission was originally planned as Apollo 9 to be performed in early 1969 as the second test of the complete Apollo spacecraft, including the lunar module and the command service module in the elliptical medium Earth orbit. But when the lunar module provided proved unready to make its first test in a lower Earth orbit in December 1968, it was decided in August to fly Apollo 8 in December as a more ambitious lunar orbital flight without the lunar module. This meant that Borman's crew was scheduled to fly two to three months sooner than originally planned, leaving them a shorter time for training and preparation. 
thus placing more demands than usual on their time and discipline. Apollo 8 took three days to travel to the moon. It orbited 10 times over the course of 20 hours, during which the crew made a Christmas Eve television broadcast where they read the first 10 verses from the book of Genesis. At the time, the broadcast was the most watched TV program ever. Apollo 8's successful mission paved the way for Apollo 11 to fulfill U.S. President John F. Kennedy's goal of landing a man on the moon before the end of the 1960s. The Apollo 8 astronauts returned to Earth on December 27, 1968, when their spacecraft splashed down in the northern Pacific Ocean. The crew was named Time Magazine's Men of the Year for 1968 upon their return. Jim Lovell was originally the command module pilot on the backup crew with Michael Collins as the prime crew's command module pilot. However, Collins was replaced in July 1968 after suffering a cervical disc herniation that required surgery to repair. The crew was unique among pre-shuttle era missions in that the commander was not the most experienced member of the crew, as Lovell had flown twice before on Gemini 7 and Gemini 12. This was also the first case of the rarity of an astronaut who had commanded a spaceflight mission, subsequently flying as a non-commander, as Lovell had previously commanded Gemini 12. On a lunar mission, the command module pilot was assigned the role of navigator, while the lunar module pilot was assigned the role of flight engineer, responsible for monitoring all spacecraft systems, even if the flight didn't include a lunar module. Edwin Buzz Aldrin was originally the backup lunar module pilot when Lovell was rotated to the Prime crew, no one with experience on CSM-103, which is that specific spacecraft used for that particular mission, was available. So Aldrin was moved to command module pilot, and Fred Hayes brought in as backup lunar module pilot. Neil Armstrong went on to command Apollo 11, where Aldrin was returned to lunar module pilot position and Collins was assigned as CMP, or the command module pilot. Hayes was rotated out of the crew and onto the backup crew of Apollo 11 as lunar module pilot. The Earth-based mission control teams for Apollo 8 consisted of astronauts assigned to the support crew, as well as non-astronaut flight directors and their staffs. The support crew members were not trained to fly the mission, 
but were able to stand in for astronauts in meetings and be involved in the minutiae of mission planning, while the prime and backup crews trained. They also served as CAPCOMs during the mission. For Apollo 8, these crew members included astronauts John S. Bull, Vance D. Brand, Gerald P. Carr, and Ken Mattingly. The mission control teams on Earth rotated in three shifts, each led by a flight director. The flight directors for Apollo 8 included Clifford E. Charlesworth, he was the green team, Glenn, Glenn Lummy, he was the black team, and Milton Windler, he was the maroon team. The triangular shape of the insignia symbolizes the shape of the Apollo Command Module. It shows a red figure eight looping around the Earth and Moon, representing the mission number, as well as the circumlunar nature of the mission. On the red number eight are the names of the three astronauts. The initial design of the insignia was developed by Jim Lovell. Lovell reportedly sketched the initial design while riding in the back seat of the T-38 flight from California to Houston, shortly after learning of the redesignation of the flight to become a lunar orbital mission. The graphic design of the insignia was done by Houston artist and animator William Bradley. Apollo 4 and Apollo 6 had been A missions, unmanned tests of the Saturn V launch vehicle using an unmanned Block 1 production model of the Apollo Command and Service Module in Earth orbit. Apollo 7, scheduled for October 1968, would be manned Earth orbit flight of the Command Service Module, completing the objectives for Mission C. Further missions depended on the readiness of the lunar module. Apollo 8 was planned as the D mission to test the lunar module in a low Earth orbit in December 1968 by James McDivitt, David Scott, and Russell Schwickart, while Bowman's crew would fly the E mission a more rigorous lunar module test in an elliptical medium Earth orbit as Apollo 9 in early 1969. But the production of the lunar module fell behind schedule, and when Apollo 8's lunar module arrived at the Kennedy Space Center in June 1968, significant defects were discovered, leading Grumman, the lead contractor for the lunar module, to predict that the first mission-ready lunar module would not be ready until at least February 1969. This would mean delaying the D and subsequent missions, endangering the program's goal of a lunar landing before the end of 1969. George Lowe, the manager of the Apollo Spacecraft Program Office, proposed a solution in August to keep the program on track despite the lunar module display delay. 
since the command service modules would not be ready three months before the lunar module, the command service module only mission could be flown in December 1968. Instead of just repeating the sea mission flight of Apollo 7, this command service module could be sent all the way to the moon with the possibility of entering a lunar orbit. The new mission would also allow NASA to test lunar landing procedures that would otherwise have to wait until Apollo 10, the scheduled F mission. This also meant that the medium Earth orbit E mission could be dispensed with. The net result was that only the D mission had to be delayed. Almost every senior manager at NASA agreed with this new mission, citing both confidence in the hardware and personnel, and the potential for a significant morale boost provided by a circumlunar flight. The only person who needed some convincing was James Webb, the NASA administrator. With the rest of his agency in support of the new mission, Webb eventually approved the mission change. The mission was officially changed from a D mission to a C prime lunar orbit mission, but was still referred to in the press releases as an Earth orbit mission at Webb's direction. No public announcement was made about the change in mission until November 12th, three weeks after Apollo 7's successful Earth orbit mission and less than 40 days before Apollo 8 launched. With the change in mission for Apollo 8, Director of the Flight Crew Operations, Deke Slayton, decided to swap the crews of the D and E missions. This swap also meant the swap of spacecraft, requiring Borman's crew to use Command Service Module 103 while McDivitt's crew would use Command Service Module 104. On September 9th, the crew entered the simulators to begin their preparation for the flight. By the time the mission flew, the crew had spent seven hours training for every actual hour of flight. Although all crew members were trained in all aspects of the mission, it was necessary to specialize. Borman, as commander, was given training on controlling the spacecraft during the re-entry. Lovell was trained on navigating the spacecraft in case of communication was lost with Earth. Anders was placed in charge of checking that the spacecraft was in working order. Added pressure on the Apollo program to make its 1969 landing goal was provided by the Soviet Union's flight of some living creatures, including Russian tortoises, in a cislunar loop around the moon on Zond 5 and returned to Earth on September 21st. There was speculation within NASA and that the press that they might be preparing to launch cosmonauts on a similar circumlunar mission before the end of 1968. The Apollo 8 crew, now living in the crew quarters at Kennedy Space Center, 
received a visit from Charles Lindbergh and his wife, Anna Morrow Lindbergh, the night before the launch. They talked about how before his 1927 flight, Lindbergh had used a piece of string to measure the distance from New York City to Paris on a globe. And then from that, he calculated the fuel needed for the flight. The total was a tenth of the amount that the Saturn V would burn every second. The next day, the Lindberghs watched the launch of the Apollo 8 from a nearby dune at Kennedy Space Center. The Saturn V rocket used by Apollo 8 was designated as SA-503, or the O-third model of the Saturn V. Rocket to be used in the Saturn Apollo program when it was erected in the Vertical Assembly Building on December 20th, 1967. It was thought that the rocket would be used for an unmanned Earth orbit test flight, carrying a boilerplate command service module. Apollo 6 had suffered several major problems during its April 1968 flight, including severe pogo oscillation during its first stage, two second stage engine failures, and a third stage that failed to reignite in orbit. Without assurances that these problems had been rectified, NASA administrators could not justify risking a manned space mission until additional unmanned test flights prove that the Saturn V was ready. Teams from the Marshall Space Flight Center went to work on the problems. Of primary concern was the pogo oscillation, which would not only hamper engine performance, but could exert significant g-forces on the crew. A task force of contractors, NASA agency representatives, and Marshall Space Flight Center researchers concluded that the engines vibrated at a frequency similar to the frequency at which the spacecraft itself vibrated, causing a resonance effect that induced oscillation in the rocket. A system using helium gas to absorb some of these vibrations was installed. Of equal importance was the failure of three engines during flight. Researchers quickly determined that a leaking hydrogen fuel line ruptured when exposed to vacuum, causing a loss of fuel pressure in engine number two. When an automatic shutoff attempted to close the liquid hydrogen valve and shut down engine two, it accidentally shut down engines three liquid oxygen due to a mist-wired connection. As a result, engine three failed within one second of engine two shutdown. Further investigation revealed the same problem for the third stage engine, a faulty igniter line. 
the team modified the igniter lines and fuel conduits, hoping to avoid similar problems on future launches. The, tests, the teams tested their solutions in August 1968 at the Marshall Space Flight Center. A Saturn Stage 1C was equipped with a shock-absorbing devices to demonstrate the team's solution to the problem of pogo oscillation, while a Saturn Stage 2 was retrofitted with a modified fuel line to demonstrate their resistance to leaks and ruptures in vacuum conditions. Once NASA administrators were convinced that the problems were solved, they gave their approval for the manned mission using Saturn 503. The Apollo 8 spacecraft was placed on top of the rocket on September 21st, and the rocket made the slow three-mile journey to the launch pad on October 9th. Testing continued all through December until the day before launch, including various levels of readiness testing from December 5 through December 11. Final testing of modifications to address the problems of pogo oscillation, ruptured fuel lines, and bad igniter lines took place on December 18th, a mere three days before the scheduled launch. The mission. As the first manned spacecraft to orbit more than one celestial body, Apollo's 8 profile had two different sets of orbital parameters separated by a translunar injection maneuver. Apollo lunar missions would begin with a nominal 100 nautical miles circular Earth parking orbit. Apollo 8 was launched into an initial orbit with an apogee of 99.99 nautical miles and a perigee of 99.57 nautical miles with an inclination of 32.51 degrees to the equator and an orbital period of 88.19 minutes. Propellant venting increased the apogee by 6.4 nautical miles over the 2 hours, 44 minutes, and 30 seconds spent in the parking orbit. This was followed by a translunar injection burn of the Saturn 4B third stage for 318 seconds, accelerating the 63,000-pound spacecraft from an orbital velocity of 25,500 feet per second to the injection velocity of 35,500 feet per second, which set a record for the highest speed relative to Earth that humans have ever traveled. The speed was slightly less than the Earth's escape velocity of 36,747 feet per second, but 
put Apollo 8 into an elongated elliptical orbit of Earth to a point where the moon's gravity would capture it. The standard lunar orbit for Apollo missions was planned as a nominal 60 nautical miles circular orbit above the moon's surface. Initial lunar orbit insertion was an ellipse with a purulene of a 60 degrees, 60 nautical miles, and an apolline of 168 and a half nautical miles at an inclination of 12 degrees from the lunar equator. This was then circularized at 60.7 nautical miles by 59.7 nautical miles with an orbital period of 128.7 minutes. The effect of lunar mass concentrations on the orbit was found to be greater than initially predicted over the course of the 20-hour mission. The orbit was perturbated to 63.6 nautical miles by 58.6 nautical miles. Apollo 8 achieved maximum distance from Earth of 203,752 nautical miles or 234,474 statute miles. It was the farthest place man had ever gone. Apollo 8 launched at 7.51 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on December 21, 1968, using the Saturn V's three stages to achieve Earth's orbit. The Saturn 1C first stage impacted the Atlantic Ocean at 30 degrees, 12 minutes north, 74 degrees, 7 minutes west. And the Saturn second stage impacted the Atlantic Ocean at 31 degrees, 50 minutes north, and 37 degrees, 17 minutes west. The Saturn 4B third stage injected the craft into Earth orbit, but remained attached to later perform the translunar injection burn that put the spacecraft on a trajectory to the moon. The Titan II launch vehicle used for the Gemini program had been notoriously rough riding, and technicians promised the astronauts that the Saturn V, which was designed for the Apollo program rather than adopted from a missile, would have a much smoother ride. Lovell and Borman, both Gemini veterans, found this promise did not disappoint. During liftoff, they reported feeling nothing but a dull, muted rumble in the distance. Once the vehicle reached Earth's orbit, both the crew and Houston flight controllers spent the next two hours and 38 minutes checking that the spacecraft was in proper working order and ready for translunar injection. 
the proper operation of the Saturn IV-B third stage of the rocket was crucial. In the last unmanned test, it had failed to reignite from tr four translunar injection. During the flight, three fellow astronauts served on the ground as capsule communicators, usually referred to as CAPCOMs, on a rotating schedule. The CAPCOMs were the only people who regularly communicated with the crew. Michael Collins was the first CAPCOM on duty, and at 2 hours 27 minutes and 22 seconds after launch radioed Apollo 8, you are go for translunar injection. This communication signified that Mission Control had given official permission for Apollo 8 to go to the moon. Over the next 12 minutes before the translunar injection burn, the Apollo 8 crew continued to monitor the spacecraft and the Saturn 4B. The engine ignited on time and performed the translunar injection burn perfectly. After the Saturn 4B had performed its required tasks, it was jettisoned. The crew then rotated the spacecraft to take some photographs of the spent stage and then practice flying in formation with it. As the crew rotated the spacecraft, they had their first view of the Earth as they moved away from it. This marked the first time humans could view the whole Earth at once. Borman became worried that the Saturn 4B was staying too close to the command service module and suggested to Mission Control that the crew perform a separation maneuver. Mission Control first suggested pointing the spacecraft towards Earth and using the reaction control system thrusters on the service module to add three feet per second away from the Earth. But Borman did not want to lose sight of the Saturn 4B. After discussion, the crew and the mission control decided to burn in this direction, but at nine feet per second instead. These discussions put the crew an hour behind their flight plan. Five hours after launch, Mission Control sent a command to the Saturn 4B booster to vent its remaining fuel through its engine bell to change the booster's trajectory. The Saturn 4B would then pass the moon and enter into a solar orbit, posing no further hazard to Apollo 8. The Saturn 4B subsequently went into a 0.99 by 0.92 astronomical unit solar orbit with an inclination of 23.47 degrees from the plane of the elliptic and an orbital period of 340.8 days. After the insertion into translunar orbit, the Saturn 4B third stage became a derelict object. 
it will continue to orbit the sun for many years to come. The Apollo 8 crew were the first humans to pass through the Van Allen radiation belts, which extended up to 15,000 miles from Earth. Scientists predicted that passing through the belts quickly at the spacecraft's high speed would cause a radiation dosage of no more than a checked X-ray or one milligray. During a year, the average human receives a dose of two to three milligray. To record the actual radiation dosage, each crew member wore a personal radiation dosimeter that transmitted data to Earth as well as the three passive film dosimeters that showed the cumulative radiation experienced by the crew. By the end of the mission, the crew experienced an average radiation dose of 1.6 milligrays. Now on to the lunar trajectory. Jim Lovell's main job as command module pilot was as navigator. Although mission control performed all the actual navigation calculations, it was necessary to have a crew member serving as the navigator so that the crew could return to Earth in case of a loss of communication with mission control. Lovell navigated by star sizings using a sextant built into the spacecraft, measuring the angle between the, a star and the Earth's or Moon's horizon. This task was difficult because a large cloud of debris around the spacecraft formed by the venting Saturn 4B third stage made it hard to distinguish the stars. By seven hours into the mission, the crew was about one hour and 40 minutes behind flight plan. Because of the problems in moving away from the Saturn 4B third stage and Lovell's obscured sights star sightings. The crew now placed the spacecraft into passive thermal control, also called barbecue roll, in which the spacecraft rotated about once per hour along its long axis to ensure even heat distribution across the surface of the spacecraft. In direct sunlight, the spacecraft would be heated to over 200 degrees Celsius or 392 degrees Fahrenheit, while the parts in the shadow would be negative 100 degrees Celsius or minus 140 degree Fahrenheit. These temperatures could cause the heat shield to crack and propellant lines to burst. Because it was impossible to get a perfect roll, the spacecraft swept out a cone as it rotated. The crew had to make minor adjustments every half hour as the cone pattern got larger 
and larger. The first mid-course correction came 11 hours into the flight. Testing on the ground had showed that the service propulsion system engine had a small chance of exploding when burned for long periods, unless its combustion chamber was coated first. Burning the engine for a short period would accomplish coating. The first correction burn was only 2.4 seconds and added about 20 feet per second velocity prograde, which is in the direction of travel. This change was less than the planned 24.8 feet per second because of a bubble of helium in the oxidizer lines which caused unexpectedly low propellant pressure. The crew had to use the small RCS thrusters to make up the shortfall. Two later planned mid-course corrections were canceled because Apollo 8's trajectory was found to be perfect. Eleven hours into the flight, the crew had been awakened and been awake for more than 16 hours. Before launch, NASA had decided that at least one crew member should be awake at all times to deal with problems that might arise. Borman started the first sleep shift, but found sleeping difficult because of the constant radio chatter and mechanical noises. About an hour after starting his sleep shift, Borman obtained permission from ground control to take a second all sleeping pill. The pill had little effect. Borman eventually fell asleep and then woke up feeling ill. He had vomited twice and had a bout of diarrhea. This left the spacecraft full of a small gobules of vomit and feces, which the crew cleaned up as well as they could. Borman initially did not want everyone to know about his medical problems, but Lovell and Anders wanted to inform Mission Control. The crew decided to use the data storage equipment, which could tape voice recordings and telemetry and dump them to Mission Control at high speed. After recording a description of Borman's illness, they asked Mission Control to check the recording stating they would like an evaluation of the voice comments. The Apollo 8 crew and Mission Control medical personnel held a conference using an unoccupied second floor control room. There were two identical control rooms in Houston on the second and third floors, only one of which was used during a mission. The conference participants concluded that the, there was little to worry about and that Borman's illness was either the 24-hour flu, as Borman thought, or a reaction to the sleeping pill. Researchers now believe that he was suffering from space adaptation syndrome, which affects about a third of astronauts during their first day in space as their vestibular systems adapts to weightlessness. 
space adaptation syndrome had not occurred on previous spacecraft, Mercury or Gemini, because those astronauts couldn't move freely in the small cabins of those spacecraft. The increased cabin space in the Apollo command module afforded the astronauts greater freedom of movement, contributing to symptoms of space sickness for Borman, and later astronaut Russell Schweikart during Apollo 9. The cruise phase was a relatively uneventful part of the flight, except for the crew checking that the spacecraft was in working order and they were on course. During this time, NASA scheduled a television broadcast at, at 31 hours after the launch. The Apollo 8 crew used a two kilogram camera that broadcast in black and white only using a Viacon tube The camera had two lenses, a very wide angle, which was a 160-degree lens, and a telephoto, which was a 9-degree lens. During this first broadcast, the crew gave a tour of the spacecraft and attempted to show how the Earth appeared from space. However, difficulties aiming the narrow-angle lens without the aid of a monitor to show what it was looking at made showing the Earth impossible. Additionally, the Earth image became saturated by any bright source without proper filters. In the end, all the crew could show the people watching back on Earth was a bright blob. After broadcasting for 17 minutes, the rotation of the spacecraft took the high-gain antenna out of the view of the receiving stations on Earth and they ended the transmission with Lovell wishing his mother a happy birthday. By this time, the crew had completely abandoned the planned sleep shifts. Lovell went to sleep 32 and a half hours into flight, three and a half hours before he planned to. A short while later, Anders also went to sleep after taking a sleeping pill. The crew was unable to see the moon for much of the outward cruise. Two factors made the moon almost impossible to see from inside the spacecraft. Three of the five windows fogging up due to outgassed oils from the silicon sealant and the attitude required for the PTC. It was not until the crew had gone behind the moon that they were be able to see it for the first time. Apollo 8 made a second television broadcast at 55 hours into the flight. This time the crew rigged up filters meant for the still cameras so they could acquire images of the Earth through the telephoto lens. Although difficult to aim, as they had to maneuver the entire spacecraft, the crew was able to broadcast back to Earth the first television pictures of the Earth. The crew sp spent the transmission describing the Earth 
and what was visible and the colors they could see. The transmission lasted 23 minutes. About 55 hours and 40 minutes into the flight, the crew of Apollo 8 became the first humans to enter the gravitational sphere of influence of another celestial body. In other words, the effect of the moon's gravitational force on Apollo 8 became stronger than that of the Earth. At the time it happened, Apollo 8 was 38,759 miles from the moon and had a speed of 3,990 feet per second relative to the moon. This historic moment was of little interest to the crew since they were still calculating their trajectory with the respect to the launch pad at Kennedy Space Center. They would continue to do so until they performed their last mid-course correction switching to a reference frame based on an ideal orientation for the second engine burn they would make in lunar orbit. It was only 13 hours until they would be in lunar orbit. The last major event before lunar orbit insertion was a second mid-course correction. It was in retrograde, which is against the direction of travel, and slowed the spacecraft down by two feet per second, effectively lowering the closest distance that the spacecraft would pass the moon. At exactly 61 hours after launch, about 24,200 miles from the moon, the, the crew burned the RSC for 11 seconds. They would now pass 71.7 miles from the lunar surface. At 64 hours into the flight, the crew began to prepare for lunar orbit insertion. This maneuver had to be formed perfectly and due to orbital mechanics, had to be done on the far side of the moon, out of contact with the Earth. After mission control was pulled for a go, no-go decision, the crew was told at 68 hours they were go and riding the best bird we can find. At 68 hours and 58 minutes, the spacecraft went behind the moon and out of radio contact with the Earth. With 10 minutes before the lunar orbit insertion, the crew began one last check of the spacecraft system and made sure that every switch was in the correct place. At that time, they finally got their first glimpses of the moon. They had been flying over the unlit side, and it was Lovell who saw the first shafts of sight obliquely illuminating the lunar surface. The lunar orbit insertion burn was only two minutes away, so the crew had little time to appreciate the view. 
the SPS ignited at 69 hours, 8 minutes, and 16 seconds after launch and burned for 4 minutes and 13 seconds, placing the Apollo 8 spacecraft in orbit around the moon. The crew described the burn as being the longest four minutes of their lives. The burn, if the burn had not lasted exactly the correct amount of time, the spacecraft would have ended up in a highly elliptical orbit or even flung off into space. Your journey is now ending. the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.